You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Episode 4 of Season 2 of Not Another Leaps Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network at Ken Safon at McCarthy 95 with you, Mac. How you doing, brother? K-Dog. What up? K-Dog. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you just come up with that right now? Just on the spot. I don't think you probably think you, ever heard that nickname ever. I don't think you've ever called me that before. No, that was just kind of out of the gate. It's ad lib, ad lib out of the gate. Ad-lib. I like it. Hey, listen, man. I'm I'm pretty stoked. We actually have some Maple Leafs news with some relevance. Your boy Nick Robertson is being held out of the World Junior Championships for Team USA by the Toronto Maple Leafs. What do you make of the news for Nicky Robertson? I think this is great news and the right move from Kyle Dubas and Elise Brass. I mean, you know, he did reasonably well last year in the World Juniors, five points, five games. But I mean he's earned it. He's earned the right to, to take another crack at getting a full-time position with the Leafs. And it's really a smart move because I don't think he really has anything left to prove. I mean, he's already had a chance to experience, to experience rather the NHL in the play-in round, obviously not something he would have drawn up with no fans, but Hey, gets his first goal. So I think it's I think it's good, and he's going to get more accustomed to the the culture of the Leafs, and you know he's got some pretty good vets to learn from too on the on the current roster. Yeah, let's not forget that this guy was just a scoring machine in juniors. He had 55 goals in 46 games last year for Peterborough. So that shows you how he's been able to dominate the play at his own age group. I think for the, the Maple Leafs, this is a pretty clear indication that they expect Robertson to at least be competing for a position straight out of camp. Otherwise, you don't bring him in there. And, or you let him go play the juniors and get at least some games in, get some experience. That's been a lot of the talk is for these younger players, if the OHL or with the CHL, nobody really understands what they're doing. Are they going to do hitting in the Ontario League? Because if you're not going to do hitting, what kind of quality of play is that? The AHL isn't set to start till a little bit after the NHL. So if you're expecting that he's going to be playing the majority with the farm team, then you probably let him go to the junior tournament as well. I understand how some teams, you know, we had the conversation last week about how Lafreniere was being held out and Hughes is being held out. And I understand that from that perspective, at a certain point, you just have to understand that these guys are hockey players and you just have to let them play. Obviously there's a risk of injury, but there's a risk of injury every time they get on the ice and you need them to develop into top tier talent. And they're only going to be doing that by, 
playing games against legitimate competition. Right. And, and let's remember too, it's a short stint, the juniors. It obviously it's great to see the young talent and the up and coming talent, but for the development and the future of this kid, the Leafs definitely made the right call here. And just to go through what Kyle Dubas said about Robertson being held out, because he did make a statement, he said, based off the NHL and NHLPA health and safety protocols, unknown surrounding roster protocols given the coronavirus and Nick's standing on our roster heading into training camp, we feel it's both in the best interest of Nick and the Maple Leafs that he remain in Toronto so that we can ensure he can participate in our training camp while abiding all the health and safety standards from the city of Toronto and province of Ontario. So a lot of this as well has to do with the fact that if Nicky Robertson was to go out West and play in the world junior tournament at whatever point he returned, he would be on a mandatory two week quarantine. So he wouldn't be able to show up with the club. Right. So they're already kind of going through some murky waters right now and they want to be safe and, and keep him in Toronto. But really what stands out from Dubas's quote is given Nick's standing on our roster, so he's clearly high on this guy. Keith and the other bench bosses like what they saw. And they're high on this guy. And they, they feel he can be an impactful player for, for years to come. Other prospects in the pool. It's, it's a pretty good haul for Toronto having six guys. It's going to be three of them on Russia, as you said. Uh, Rodion Amarov, Mikhail Abramov, and the goaltender, I'm going to butcher this name, Artur Akayimov on Russia. And then the three Finns, Miko Kokkinen, Tomi Nipola, and Ronnie Hirvonen on team Finland. So a lot for Maple Leaf fans to look forward to still entering the world junior championship. BMAC, another guy that's expected to contribute or make big contributions this year on the left side for the Toronto Maple Leafs is your boy, Ilya Mikheyev. Have you seen his new suit commercial? Yeah, it was a little corny, but like very sweet. I'll say. I thought it was pretty funny. I'll see if I can <laughs> clip it and just plug it in. He's just trying to make, you know, mom's homemade soup recipe or he's pretending to, and then he just eats the Campbell soup. This was such an obvious partnership for oh, Campbell's, like right out of the gate. Absolutely. But you know what? For, for Mikheyev to, to do it, he actually is clearly getting better at his English. And uh, I'm sure, I'm sure the guys on the team are going to give him a, a few uh, tackles out of this, but uh, he, Definitely made me want Campbell's soup more. I haven't had Campbell, Campbell's in a while, but he definitely made a tomato soup from Campbell's more appetizing. It looks pretty good. Like, I might fire up a grilled cheese with some Campbell's tomato soup. Add a little pepper a little bit later this afternoon. Oh, yeah. You, you got to do some fresh cracked pepper, maybe a little shaved Parmesan on top, <laughs> and you are going to be absolutely moving forward. That's all I did at Mercado, Kenny, is shave cheese pepper going and, and shake cheese. Shave cheese. and Are you uh, done? You need your plates? Okay. Bread. I got you. So this is also the time of year that the NHL always comes out with their 31 and 31, where they talk about all the players and there's some insightful stuff. There's some stuff that's just fairly obvious. So I want to dive into some of the topics that they brought up. So basically they opened it up by just suggesting that the core of the Maple Leafs now has gone four years without winning a series, which has been well-documented on this podcast, well-documented by critics of the organization and on paper, that this is as talented of a team as Toronto has ever seen or as the league has seen. The loss to Columbus obviously then spurred the offseason moves. How are Simmons, Thornton, VC, uh, the re-signing of Jason Spezza, and on the back end, Brody Bogosian among the young talents, how does that influence the team moving forward? They basically took the tact that this team seems like it's going to be harder to play against. Well, really what has been injected into this team is – been pushed back 
And this is obviously going to be a team on many teams, well, across the league's radar, that this is a skillful, flashy team. We have to be sound defensively and tighten that up. Now they've added, you know, Simmons and Thornton and, you know, Bogosian to add a little bit more grit and sandpaper. And it's going to be big because not only do they have a skillful, sexy lineup that they've had for four or five years, 2016, now they have really the best, the best of both worlds with a more physical lineup. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And this basically plays into what Kyle Dubas said following that series is that the team needs to be more difficult to play against. And that's why they made these acquisitions. That's why they bring in the likes of Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons, these grittier players who bring both a wealth of NHL experience and also a little bit of that determination and that you know X factor that I'm going to stand up for my teammates. I'm going to take, they can make the big hit. They can drop the gloves. Both those guys aren't afraid to do that. Although Joe might be getting a little bit long in the tooth. He doesn't uh, want to be fighting too many young guys. The Leafs right now, Ken, remind me a lot of the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks. You know, you have the two studs, Kane, Taves, Matthews, Marner. You had Bufflin on the top line. That's kind of an equivalent with Simmons. Loaded up front with depth, a strong decor. Probably Chicago would possess a better decor 10 years ago than the current Leafs one right now with Seabrook and Keith, what have you. But really, that's what I've been equating the Leafs to right now. And obviously, we know what happened in 2010. This has been one of the most discussed points for, I don't know how long, the last 20 years for for the Maple Leafs, at least the last 15, is that the decor has been soft. They haven't had really that number one guy on the right side of the decor. Morgan Riley has shirt up the left side. And then you like Jake Buzzin in the two slot. But outside of that, they haven't really had a really bolstered, strong, bona fide top four. And now moving into this season, the question is, is that if Morgan Riley, or is Morgan Riley rather, going to be able to elevate his game to that next level alongside TJ Brody, who's going to be playing with Jake Muzzin? Because I'm not certain that Justin Hall is really a lock for that spot, although he's looked good at times playing with Muzzin. And if he can continue to develop, and got to feel like he'll have a good opportunity to take over that spot. Is Morgan Riley going to be able to elevate his game to that level? Because you look at the last couple of teams that won the cup, you know, Victor Hedman for the Tampa Bay lightning. And then you have John Carlson for the Washington capitals. And of course, and Alex Petrangelo in St. Louis as being the bona fide number ones who can anchor the decor. So really right. it comes down to whether Morgan Riley is going to be able to take over that role for this team or not right and you know with those other defensemen you've mentioned like Hedman and Carlson they have had the luxury of having a good D partner and Morgan Riley has really been struggling to find that D partner that he can become in sync with if there if there is obviously we know how Riley can elevate his game where it can get to hell 2018-19 he was tearing it up he was top five for the Norris trophy conversation and he as a player himself can certainly elevate his game but there's times where he just doesn't look good because of who he's playing with and you look at now with Brody maybe even Bogosian because he's such a versatile defenseman he can play up and down he's gonna have lots of options and better options to elevate his game I think a lot of it is going to come down to TJ Brody and what he's able to bring to the table, how he's able to assimilate. We've touched on in the past how 
Brody in Calgary was playing with Mark Giordano, so a defenseman of a higher caliber, obviously, a little bit of a higher ceiling at that point in his career than Morgan Riley, but certainly you could see Riley elevating his defensive side of the game to get to that level. The offensive side is already there for him, equivalent to what Giordano was able to do. I would actually argue that Riley has an upside of being a more talented offensive defenseman than Mark Giordano has been in his career when we go back and look at the accomplishments to this point and what we can expect from Riley moving forward. His best year was playing with Ron Hainsey. Ron Hainsey, and that's nothing against Hainsey. He's been a serviceable NHL defenseman. Obviously, young when he was younger in his career, he was more offensive-minded, and then he made the transition to being a more defensive-oriented defenseman, a stay-at-home defenseman with the ability to break the puck out. And that's the kind of player that Morgan Riley needs to play with, someone who's going to let him play that sort of riverboat gambling style where he can join the rush, get in on the attack, and use his playmaking ability to get the puck to the talented forwards on this team and perhaps enter the zone late and be cash in on those high slot goals when Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and everybody are clogging up in front of the net off the rush, because that's when this team is most dangerous. When they catch you on a quick breakout, like this team is built on speed and that's where they need to capitalize. I think we're going to see just a more freer and loose Riley knowing he has a, a sound defenseman in Brody and, and other options, of course, but you know, you have to remember too, Riley was kind of thrown into that veteran role because when he was drafted by Toronto in 2012, he didn't play the lockout year, but he, he, he started playing with the team in 2013 and no one really wanted to be there. It was like the Kessel Fnuff Lupel days. Everyone was kind of on their way out. They weren't making the playoffs. And then suddenly when Matthew Matthews was drafted, Riley kind of became that like veteran figure, even though he was only like in his early 20s. So it's been really a, a roller coaster ride for Riley in his tenure with the Leafs. And I think finally in this new decade, now that we're moving on from 2020, we're going to see a, a much more comfortable and just freer Riley. I think he's just ready to take the next step as well. Yes. And I think that might be a problem for Toronto, not because of his on ice production, but because the contract is not too far around the corner. And you're going to have to make a decision on if you're willing to pay this guy, you know, eight, nine million bucks a year, which is probably what he's going to come in at. And he's going to want he's going to want seven years. Yeah. And it's absolutely what he deserves given the market value and what his production has been and what other teams are going to be able to pay for him. Like whether Toronto will be able to you know, manage that down the road or not remains to be seen, but obviously <laughs> we hope that they're able to work it out and they can stay in the six. Um, another topic that they were talking about was, the effect of Joe Thornton coming into the room. The fact that having a big personality like Joe and having already an established leadership group like Tavares, and then you have Jason Spezza, and then, you know, you have this guy coming in who's no doubt a future Hall of Famer. It's been well-documented the success that the San Jose teams have had in the regular season, albeit oftentimes coming up short in the postseason, but that's not necessarily an indictment on Joe as a player. How do you think that, his big personality is going to assimilate in the Maple Leafs room. Well, I've said this before too. It's going to be like a Marlowe 2.0. I think he's going to instantly inject a lot of, a lot of laughs and a lot of carefree humor with the guys, but also hold them accountable. And this is going to be good for um, the younger guys too, like Nylander and, and Marner and even Robertson as well. So I think it's as Joe Bowen mentioned on, on the pod a few weeks ago, 
he he is the most intriguing addition. No doubt we won't see it a lot, but a lot of it's going to come off the ice. No, and I think that you hit on a good point is that he is going to be an influence in the room. And I also think that on the stage, like Toronto, it's pretty easy for the nerves to settle in for these players. Like when the pressure is on now, there's no more losing in the first round. There's no more not making the playoffs. Like this group is expected to perform. And that could get very heavy in a market like Toronto with all the media coverage and it could be very loud for these players. And to this point, if you start to feel like the pressure might be starting to get to them a little bit, or at least that's going to be the conversation if they continue not to have success and they can't figure out how to win at least a first round and get over that hump. I think that bringing in Thornton brings in a little bit of levity to the situation where he can relieve a little bit of the pressure in the room, relieve a little bit of the stress from the market as just a mature guy. You know, he won't be shying away from the media. He'll likely be for on the forefront for that and expected to talk a lot after the games. And I don't think he's going to shy away from that. That's the sort of influence that Joe is going to have. And it's going to be much more impactful in my opinion, than what he's going to be able to do on the ice at this point in his career. And he's hungry too. He wants to win. I mean, spent 15, 15 years in, in San Jose. So he, he certainly wants to win and he wants to win now. You know, he doesn't have a lot of time left in this league and he's getting older. So it's, it's also go time for him. He wants to get this chip badly. It is. And that's what one of the things they said when he was coming to Toronto as well, is that at this point in his career, He's looking at all the teams in the league or all the suitors in the league, and he wanted to pick a team that he thought he was going to have an opportunity to win a championship on. And the fact that he picked Toronto, similarly to the way that, as you cited, Patrick Marlowe came to Toronto a couple of years ago, albeit I like Joe Thornton at, what is it, 700K? Yeah, is he a on little the bit league, better. League a little bit better than uh, It's like 700 or 900K. It's a little bit better than Marlowe at uh, 6 mil, where he yeah. knew that third year was going to come back and uh, – bite yeah, you in the ass and then ultimately it costs the least a first round draft pick Oodalali. i've been dying to get to the library bar can we get there yet yeah let's head to the library bar All right, you know the rules. Somebody's drinking at the bar, either for good news or for bad news. BMAC, you lead off this week. Who's at the library bar for yourself? Easy pick for me, and this person is at the library bar in a happy way. They're not drowning their sorrows. And it's Sarah Fuller, kicker out of Vanderbilt. And she became the first woman to score in a Power 5 conference game. Incredible feat. Incredible moment in sports history. And I believe she converted on two extra points. So she went two for two. So she's definitely having a a good bevy or two. Yeah, and congratulations to Fuller. A lot has been made of the story of her kicking for Vanderbilt. And man, I hate going on Twitter while this stuff is happening. Because all the trolls are out there just saying, oh, is she the best qualified kicker? Is there not a better qualified kicker at all of Vanderbilt University? And it's like, you know, what the hell are you guys talking about? She did a, She executed a squib kick really well in one of the games in the past weeks. And now she goes out there and I saw her hit the first one. I didn't see her hit the second one. But congratulations to the Fuller because this is a monumental step in the equality of sports. 
yes. where we can now have a woman participate in a power five football game and actually contribute by putting points on the board. This isn't something that would have been considered possible. Even I feel like 10 years ago, it would just wouldn't even have been considered for me. It's uh, someone who's been making a lot of headlines recently, the fearless leader to the South, Donald J. Trump. Whoa. Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump keeps filing lawsuits all over the place. He keeps losing lawsuits all over the place. I believe the Electoral College is set to certify in the next couple of days the election, or if they haven't certified it already, and then Donald Trump is trying to overthrow the certification. This guy is just the biggest loser at this point. <laughs> Like, he won't admit the facts that the election is legit. He just keeps saying, I won fair and square if you don't count all the votes. And, like, what the hell does that mean? It's a complete disaster down there. And this guy, I feel like, is just going to be kicking and screaming the whole way up until, I believe it's January 21st or something to that effect, when President-elect Joe Biden will take over the office of the President of the United States. So Donald Trump, buffoon. for me, is going to be drowning drowning his sorrows ahead of also the grim reaper that's coming for him essentially after he gets out of the presidency i think he has a number of lawsuits in a number of states that uh, could see him in some serious legal trouble after he leaves the oval office just a complete buffoon you know what wouldn't look good ken trump in a leafs jersey that would just look so gross so it was brutal i was actually at so i was at work the i was at work last night and my colleague put on the YMCA. And well, she just Why? made like an offhand comment. Like she's like, oh, I didn't realize that the YMCA was disco. And I was like, uh, yeah, who would have associated the YMCA with dancing? <laughs> but then also I, but then also I cited, but you do realize that this is the song that Donald Trump was playing at all his rallies, right? Like, why are we playing this song right now? The village people, unfortunately, have now been tarnished because of his use of their hit song. Although I'm pretty sure they're not complaining. They're just uh, raking in the royalties from that one for the last 40 years or whatever it is. That's a pretty distinct pick for uh, for background music at a brewery. I thought we, you guys would usually rock like Khalid or like Rihanna or something. <laughs> Man, we have an eclectic <laughs> mix. Generally when I'm controlling the, the iPad or the spotify playlist i usually like to go for a nice indie rock mix yeah that's good this that's about 19 hours long yeah, yeah so it's like a little bit of the killers you know like modest mouse uh mumford and sons like that sort of vibe loaded so up. i usually just throw that on throw it on shuffle i really hear repeats too often because of the length of the playlist it's about yeah. enough to get me through two full shifts before i start hearing repeaters so that's nice for me but it also just depends on the mood right like we needed a little energy last night. I sort of got in there. The disco was playing. And it's just like, ah, well, I'm not going to change it. I'll just leave it. My, uh, my coworker, Lily, seems to be very happy with the disco selection right now. So we'll just uh, let, we'll let it ride. That's good, man. People want to get into the disco feel when they're having their nice IPAs. All right, buddy. What you got on the docket for the rest of the evening? You're heading into the TSN studio. TSN, the sports network. But I'm actually remote today which is oh okay that's not bad. quite nice remote work is actually okay you can you can kind of just like hover around if it's not that busy and kind of you know do odd jobs that you couldn't otherwise do when you were actually in studio so working remote actually has its like benefits. your laundry like your laundry like your dinner like your dishes <laughs> <laughs> like a yeah. lot of things <laughs> no that's that's nice i'm wondering what we're going to be doing 
for TSN 1050 for the Raptors games this year? Because I know that they're going to be setting up a lot of the stuff remotely at some point, but I'm not sure if that affects me in a sense where I'm not going to be going into the studio because doing a live broadcast from home for like a Raptors game is kind of difficult because you don't have you know, the direct feed, you don't have the ability to cut audio and it kind of puts a lot of pressure on the operator who's there by themselves. So I don't know what their situation is going to be with that. I know they're trying to cut down on the amount of people in and out of Bell Media, understandably. Yeah, of course. I feel like it could be just like a mailing it in situation. Like I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to contribute as much as I could contribute if I was on site. Like there's really no way that I can. And speaking of basketball, too, it was great to have some preseason ball last night. Raptors knocked off the Hornets. No Lowry, but uh, LaMelo Ball got his chance to finally make his Hornets debut, NBA debut, and had a few highlights. I texted my roommate, Spencer. I was like, he's dropping 30 tonight, but he had zero points, four assists. (laughs) So that's that. But um, I think it makes sense that, that Lowry just stayed back in Tampa preseason games back-to-back against Charlotte. So, well, not back-to-back, but two against Charlotte. Yeah, it's a good chance. Well, it's a good chance to look at some of their depth players, right? Absolutely. Matt Thomas had a really nice game looking at the score sheet. I believe he had 16 points. Uh, OG Ananobi also had 11 points. You can't take away a ton from these early, early preseason games just because everybody's so rusty, even though this break between the playoffs and – where we're at now has been, you know, the shortest off season in NBA history. I actually saw a post on ESPN saying that the LA Lakers are entering this season going with the shortest distance between playing game seven of the NBA championship and the start of the preseason, the shortest off season ever. And everybody in the comments was, what what about Miami? What about the Miami heat? They're on the exact same thing, but they're not getting any love. They both played, they played game seven too. Game six? It was game six, game wasn't six. it? Game six. But still, no, it's, it's yeah, I very recall. true. It's good to see that the major leagues are getting fired back up again, getting, get excited for basketball this season, get excited for hockey right around the Bring corner. Bring it on. Bring it Got on. Got anything else for me today, brother? I have nothing for you. I'd give you a coffee, but <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll virtually send you one. In the kitchen. I had, I've already had two coffees this morning, so uh, I don't know if I need a third. I'll be pinball bouncing off the walls, albeit – I mentioned the laundry earlier. It's a big laundry day for me. So big laundry that'll, day. Be, uh, that'll be what I'm getting into, just watching some football and uh, locking it in on the folding clothes. It's long overdue. I'm starting to run out of clean pairs of socks. You know I don't even have matching. I don't even have socks that match, man. I'm just, that's I just where take I'm socks. at. I just take I, socks. Whatever, well, I, like. usually, I usually try to match them, but now I'm on to just grabbing two clean ones from the bin that I have of the ones that don't match. So. It's not a great situation, so I'm going to resolve that today by taking care of the laundry for probably sock I'm day. Embarrassed to, yeah, I'm embarrassed to admit how long it's been. It's probably been like two weeks, three weeks since I've done a load. So well overdue, and it's going to be more than one, but is what it is. Not a bad way to spend a Sunday, just uh, folding laundry and watching some football. Thanks for listening to episode four of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow all of us on Twitter at McCarthy 95 at Ken Stapon, at Leafs Pod at HockeyPodNets, and we'll catch you next time.